When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules and haunted gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about dwarves! Um, shit, who's this guy? Remy, where, where are you, Remy? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Anyway, dwarves. Uh, I am a massive fan of dwarves, and they are, you know, one of the you know triumvirate top three races in Dungeons and Dragons, alongside humans and elves, and for good reason. They are one of the most iconic fantasy races. Period. Thanks to Lord of the Rings. But what there is a lot two dwarves in fantasy and a lot to talk about among them so we will get to the mechanics of dwarves shortly let's actually go through some of the dwarven lore stuff first this time so what do you think about nathan when you're thinking about dwarves in dungeons and dragons they're short they're stout and they're scottish Yeah, pretty much. Uh, So if you're on our Patreon, you'll hear in the behind the scenes that I actually fell into a bit of a rabbit hole researching the whole Scottish thing. And it's actually pretty interesting reading, but I'll give the summary version now. But in short, that is actually an interesting recent thing. So when Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings, then the Dwarven language was actually made as a Semitic language, actually, as a quick tangent, like I think that Tolkien and I would probably have gotten along. He's that kind of ridiculously overbuilding DM to a point where even I am still in awe the more that I learn as time passed in my life. So not only did he create ridiculous amounts of world building and backstory to Middle Earth, but he also completely made the languages for the various races in the world. He created an elven language, a dwarven language, and honestly, I don't even know how many others that he may have done. The dude was an outside-in world builder without compare. (laughs) Like, he is absolutely my kind of guy. But focusing now back to dwarves, though, so I said that that's a Semitic language, and what that means is that it's stylistically, it ought to sound more like Arabic or Hebrew. And that is the actual style of the language. Like, you know, what was that place? Uh, Kasadur. Like, it is that more very kind of harsh, throaty kind of language. And honestly, I'm probably still saying that word wrong because even though I'm Jewish, my Hebrew is terrible. I never did actually learn that proper, like, kind of throatiness to it. Unfortunately, I'm just bad at that kind of voice, which is unfortunate. Anyway, uh, the whole switch, though, of dwarves 
being written with that kind of language and being said with the Scottish voice is something that kind of just developed through, I want to say like the 70s or 80s for the most part, where it just is that dwarves are that, you know, blunt, you know, rough drinking kind of people. And that just was the kind of stereotype around Scotland at the time. So when there was like the earlier versions of The Hobbit made for TV, then eventually that was just kind of the style of voice that got used so that it would take advantage of the Scottish stereotypes to associate those personality traits to the dwarven people. And that has just persisted ever since into the modern day. So that is the history of why dwarves have that kind of Scottish kind of voice. But, uh, sorry, that was a tangential history lesson, but I thought that that was just a neat thing that I learned. So dwarves in D&D are, as you said... (laughs) short stout and scottish so we went over the scottish so now let's go the short and stout they are well known like in the normal D lore as warriors miners and smiths that is the kind of association of work that they have that they are not as tall as humans but they are so stout that they weigh the same as a human or more the fact that they are tough dwarven toughness is legendary in D&D to the point that they actually later made a feat called dwarven toughness to fully embrace that fact so there are racial feats that are available in fifth edition and dwarves literally got one named after that iconic trait of theirs but there are a lot of details about dwarves in D&D that a lot of people don't think about or even know and that's also just a thing of me being me i have very much taken advantage of in my own world building just i'm curious if you would even have ever thought of this nathan what is a dwarven lifespan personally i feel like it'd be about maybe 200 to 300 years perhaps that would make sense but you're actually underestimating it a bit so in the 5th edition rule set, it actually specifically spells out that they have an average lifespan of 350 years and can live to be over 400. So basically, they have four times the lifespan of a human. And to me, that has some interesting logical repercussions because, well, actually, let's go on a kind of fun journey through Remy logic because that is always an interesting place. (laughs) So humans are known to be a very industrious people and that they have a short lifespan, so they do things quickly. Elves have such a long lifespan that they tend to do things very slowly, or at least that's the perception around them for the most part. Dwarves, on the other hand, with that 400-year lifespan, also are a very industrious people. Dwarves are not considered to be a lazy people in pretty much any medium I've ever come across. Like pretty much every record of dwarves that I have read does regard them as a incredibly hardworking, stubborn people. That's kind of their shtick. So I got to thinking when I learned that fact years ago that, hey, wait a minute, why are humans the dominant race if dwarves live four times as long and are 
a hardworking people as a race. You humans are cool, okay? We're the best. Yes, says the human. So I actually thought, and I actually... So we've talked before that I have a love of charts as well, and just the math of D&D is a topic of interest to me. So I actually started just thinking, okay, if you have someone who is constantly improving their skills over centuries and then making better and better quality stuff over that time, then the wealth that they would develop, the connections that they would develop, the skills that they would be able to pass on to next generation's apprentices and such. So I actually made a deliberate choice in my home game. Dwarves are the dominant race of my world because of all of those factors together. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, because of the fact that they have such a long lifespan and are hardworking and are stubborn, which means that they could be quite good in business as well. Yeah, I made the choice to just kind of see what would happen if dwarves rule the world instead of humans. And so I, you know, did a lot of reading on like the lore of dwarves and just what they do uphold. And they do have a lot of interesting values. Dwarves are incredibly family focused. So you see a little bit of it in, you see a lot of it in Lord of the Rings, even where you do have, you know, the talk about the clans and the sheer length that they will go to just to defend their ancestors' memory and to secure a home, you know, for the dwarven people back in, you know, in The Hobbit. So dwarves' extreme focus on family, you know, I extrapolate out. What effect would that have on the world? So then that changes the legal system a bit, like we talked about before, about different places having different values. So for dwarves, like, Child abuse is basically an executable offense because how dare they not provide the best situation to the next generation? You know, orphanages are much more of a thing in case of situations where a family should pass away. So the youth are very, very heavily supported. Education is incredibly important to dwarves because providing for the next generation. And just thinking about like the different values that just that extreme focus on family would have really did create a lot of differences in the world and different focuses on what is valued. The arts are incredibly valued by dwarves as a culture. So if you do have just, you know, beautifully made armor and weapons, then you do have that as a status symbol. So there would be just more money put into the arts instead of just the you know amount in your coffers at the end of the day so having less focus on just you yourself alone being rich and more focus on the clan at large does have a lot of repercussions in my world and that's just part of the fun of world building as a dm in different ways with the different values that they hold dear anyway that like i said was a tangent but just I really do like dwarves. Uh, So uh, we mentioned that they do have that strong family focus. Uh, They do also have a, how do I phrase it? Uh, A bluntness to them. Dwarves are infamous for just being incredibly stubborn and incredibly blunt. And while obviously any player character dwarf or NPC dwarf can be 
you know, not true to the you know so-called norm, then that is a thing that they're very much known for. So having this stubborn species can be quite fun to play. So if you have, you know, a player character who just wants to do something weird and different, like a dwarf rogue is something that you don't see a whole lot and could be a potentially interestingly different story to tell because that's something that really does not get explored a whole lot. I do have to say, right, that out of like when when it comes to all these fantasy scenarios and such, it's quite interesting to see that all the races have their own stereotype outside of humans because humans are humans and like you, you have this real thing to draw upon to be like, yeah, humans are all diverse and stuff, but you know, these guys are they're, they're different. <laughs> they all act in this way. And it's just yeah. kind of funny that that's a thing. Honestly, that's one of the kind of strange but also very interesting points of D&D is that because there are these very heavily documented beliefs that these other races have while humans are so much more mercurial then it actually allows other races in the world being played to be that much of like a spotlight and contrast to humanity so having these races actually focuses on the pros and cons of humanity. And that is a fascinating thing in the game. All right. So anyway, moving on then. Uh, just one more just kind of neat bit of lore is that they are also often depicted as, you know, beings of the earth and the mountains. So a lot of dwarven kingdoms are depicted as being carved into a mountain, creating these cavernous halls and such. And again, that is absolutely directly taken from Lord of the Rings and has just perpetuated into D&D as part of their culture. But that stone masonry aspect of them is actually another really neat part to me of their lore because that's something that a DM can take advantage of because if you think about the outside in world building as I do so often love to do then so much of D&D is underground things. So if you have this incredibly prosperous, hardworking people whose shtick is building shit underground, then you have, as a DM, the ready-made reasoning of why the fuck are there so many dungeons in the middle of nowhere? You know, oh, you know, so there was a dwarven clan that used to just live here in days gone by, or maybe they still are, or maybe there is a, you know, lost heir that if he can be contacted can open up this area more safely. And there's a lot of story hook options available by linking dwarves to these underground areas. So you can have there be, you know, this kind of confrontation you can have it be that you're hired to clear out something by the rightful owner there's as many plot hooks as you can think of by tying dwarves into all the underground shit as well as just having there be that reasoning of this is why these things exist because one thing that i dislike in DD a lot of the time is when there's no reason in world for something to be the way it is so the idea of, so wait a minute, so why do all of these dungeons exist out there with all of these ridiculous mechanical and magical traps that it's only protecting a single magic item? That's weird. The logic of that is 
non-existent. But by having that dwarven association to it, then you can actually have that ready-made excuse that the dwarven culture says that wealth is not to be passed down to the next generation, and therefore these tombs are built to be tests for those that come after them, and that only those who are willing and able to traverse the traps have earned the right to the heirloomed item. And that unfortunately, you know, the heir of that particular clan, you know, was a cowardly dwarf who made the choice to not go after his ancestor's axe. And so you lucky adventurers managed to traverse and find the item and claim it for yourselves. And it creates that explanation, which is so very much something that I appreciate. Uh, Let's see. Anything else you want to go over on the lore side before I get into the mechanics? I mean, uh, if we're going to talk about the the idea that you had, it, it would certainly be interesting to even make that entire scenario more tight to the dwarf idea, where you have the a dwarf ask the adventurers, "Oh, get that for me," and then you can actually just make this combat situation end with a more interesting sort of talky bit where the party comes back and then somehow it's revealed that oh shit no he didn't get it himself he sent a bunch of adventurers to get it and then he yeah, just had this situation where the party is like well um this is awkward <laughs> you have the the guy's relatives like you're you're you are a coward and it's like oh geez and that could actually be another just world building point like you said and you could even have b where different clans that do have you know subtly different values maybe one clan would view that as a clever way to get the item without risk to themselves by using the resources you do have to get someone else to do it for you or maybe there is another one who would you know forever be shamed by not traversing the traps themselves and that just creates that many more angles of plot hooks available to you as the dm so with all that let's dive into the actual dwarven mechanics so there are a number of dwarven sub races available but there also are some that are the you know general dwarf for lack of a better word so the Standard dwarven traits are as follows. Constitution score increases by two. Fair enough. Toughness is their shtick. Alignment. I normally do skip over this, but I actually think that theirs is particularly nice. Most dwarves are lawful, believing firmly in the benefits of a well-ordered society. They tend towards good as well with a strong sense of fair play and a belief that everyone deserves to share in the benefits of a just order. I honestly find that to be particularly interesting. So that phrase was something that I used to make those decisions that I talked about earlier by having, you know, dwarven rulers that believe in sharing and justice, then it is almost that like towards that ideal of socialism of people make what they need and that you help the society as a whole but dwarves do also tend to be a monarchy as well so you have that kind of interesting political balance in my eyes of having there be this ruler up top but if you have a good king then it is one who also is pushing to 
do the greatest good for the most people. And I just find that to be a kind of interesting contrast to have, you know, for lack of a better word, a socialist king. Because that is, it's hard. I like the politics of D&D. I can and have gone on rants about that in the past, so I'll not focus on that overly much. I just think that was cool. Anyway, <laughs> dwarves stand between four and five feet tall and average about 150 pounds. Size is medium. So as we talked about before, dwarves are short, but they're really not that short, and they do still weigh the same as an average human. Speed is actually something that has a little detail that a lot of people do not know about. Your base walking speed is 25 feet. Your speed is not reduced by wearing heavy armor. So normally, there are restrictions on armor. Dwarves have a rather interesting thing where they don't. So a dwarf will not be slowed by heavy armor. So next up, dark vision. Obviously, as a creatures of the earth, as they are so often seen, they have dark vision. 60 feet, as is normal. Dwarven resilience. You have advantage on saving throws against poison, and you have resistance against poison damage. That is a particularly fun trait, even if it may not sound like it off top, because while the resistance to poison damage is fantastic, just because resistance is a useful thing to have, advantage on saving throws against poison. Nathan, is there a stereotype about dwarves that that might apply to? They drink a lot of water. What was that? Sorry, they drink a lot of alcohol. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, did I mishear? Did he misspeak? What just happened? Yes, dwarves are famous for their alcohol consumption to the point where even here in their mechanics, they have advantage on saving throws against poison, which alcohol can count as if as a DM you rule it that way, which you should. So. Anytime that you are in a situation where you do have, you know, roles to, you know, see how drunk you are, to see, you know, how they're doing, then dwarves have advantage on such throws. And I just find that hilarious. All right. Next up, dwarven combat training. You have proficiency with the battle axe, hand axe, light hammer, and war hammer. So any dwarf, regardless of class, gets proficiency with those weapons. So that classic, and my axe, can be said by literally any dwarf. And honestly, part of that is underappreciated, I feel, because that would mean that if you do have, you know, a dwarven wizard, then even though wizards are normally incredibly limited in what weapons they have access to that if you had a dwarven wizard then you could just have a wizard wielding a battle axe and that is hilarious to me uh, also just a fun fact that a lot of people also don't know there actually does exist a magic item that can basically just attach to the bottom of a weapon and make it so that any weapon can be used as an arcane focus. So if you have one of those for that wizard, then you have a dwarf wizard casting magic through his axe. And that's just nifty. 
All right, next up, tool proficiency. Gain proficiency with artisan tools of your choice, either smith's tools, brewer supplies, or mason tools. So again, classic dwarven professions, you make stuff, smith tools, brewer supplies, you make your own beer, or mason tools, stoneworking. That checks out. Stone cunning. When you make a history check related to the origin of stonework, you are considered proficient in the history skill and add double your proficiency bonus to the check instead of your normal proficiency bonus. That is an incredibly clunky phrased way of saying you automatically have not proficiency, but expertise in any history check related to the origin of stonework. Even if you're not trained in the history skill, if it's related to stonework, dwarves are automatically considered to have expertise. Neat. And finally, languages, they get common and dwarvish automatically. And all of those things that I just listed are available for all dwarves. So now we're going to go into the sub-races of dwarves that do have their little differences. Uh, so I'm just going down the list here in D&D Beyond, and I'll just go down in this order. So talking about the Grey Dwarves, the Hill Dwarves, the Mark of Warding, the uh, Mountain Dwarves. So Grey Dwarves are an incredibly rare thing in most D&D games, and it's interesting to me that they are even here available as a PC option. So uh, gray dwarves are also known as dwergar, and they are something like straight out of Norse mythology with incredibly different lore. Like in mythology, dwergar were like undead that Thor fought in. And anyway, I'll not get into the mythology side. I just think that it's interesting that they just kind of took the word and made it something different. But the the dwergar in D&D are, for lack of a better phrase, the drow of dwarves. So they are creatures that even farther underground than a normal dwarf to the point of just actually having, you know, for lack of uh, lack of a better phrase again, just a mutation for their skin to turn gray and to adapt to that much darker underground life. And there is a lot more interesting lore about them. But again, this is the 101 on dwarves. We don't have time for me to go into the entire written history of everyone, unfortunately. So, uh, Dwargar other abilities. So, in addition to the constitution boost that all dwarves get, their strength score also increases by one. Also, a Dwargar has superior dark vision. So, instead of 60 feet, theirs has a radius of 120 feet. And they also get an additional language of undercommon in addition to common and dwarven. And they also get Dwergar Resilience, advantage on saving throws against illusions and against being charmed or paralyzed. That is awesome. The illusion one, handy. But saving throws against being charmed against the many, many mind control type spells that exist is fantastic. Dwergar Magic. 
When you reach third level, you can cast the enlarge slash reduce spell on yourself once with this trait, using only the spell's enlarge option. When you reach fifth level, you can cast the invisibility spell on yourself once with this trait. You don't need material components for either spell, and you can't cast them while you're in direct sunlight, although sunlight has no effect on them once cast. You regain the ability to cast these spells with this trait when you finish a long rest. Intelligence is your spellcasting ability for these spells. So even if you are a class with no magical ability normally, just as a race, Dwergar have enough magic to them to cast those two spells. Finally, we have the downside. Sunlight sensitivity. You have disadvantage on attack rolls and perception checks that rely on sight when you, the target of your attack, or whatever you're trying to perceive is in direct sunlight. So Dwergar are so adapted to the underground that they just have a flat disadvantage on attack rolls and perception checks in sunlight. That is a massive disadvantage. And honestly, that is a trait that I dislike in the game because boy, does that suck. So if you do want to play a Grey Dwarf, you would be very disadvantaged by that unless you are playing in an entirely underground or night campaign. So next up, we have the Hill Dwarves. So this is a very commonly used subclass of Dwarf, much more so than the Grey, because Hill Dwarves mechanically are the ones that are well suited to being clerics. Because I actually I missed that in the lore bit. Uh, dwarves are also very commonly associated with the idea of, you know, their god Moradin, and just there are a lot of dwarven clerics. That is very much a classic archetype in the game. And the Hill Dwarves are well suited to that. So they also get the wisdom score increase by one. And as that is the spellcasting stat of clerics, that is well suited. They also get dwarven toughness. Your hit point maximum increases by one and it increases by one every time you gain a level. So all hill dwarves will have bonus hit points equal to their level. So level 10 hill dwarf will have 10 more hit points than any other race. That is just nifty. So next up, we'll move along to the Mark of Warding dwarf. So this is uh, yet another one of the uh, dragon marks. So that is something that is somewhat setting specific as we have talked about in the past. But if it is something that you have in your game, even if it is not Eberron related, then it is still a very good subrace option. And even if you don't follow the usual rules for, you know, dragon mark houses and all of that. So that gives an intelligence score increase of one. So maybe you can have then a dwarven artificer or a dwarven wizard with this. You also have warder's intuition. Whenever you make an investigation check or an ability check using thieves tools, you can roll a d4 and add the number rolled to the ability check. That is interesting. So that actually would also mean they'd be quite well suited to something like an arcane trickster rogue, because then you just 
forever would get to roll an additional d4 to your thieves tools checks to pick locks you would also get added to investigation if you wanted to have that more lawful rogue then you can have a door that would actually be quite interesting you could then have that investigation available to your character as well next up wards and seals you can cast the alarm and mage armor spells with this trait starting at third level you can also cast the arcane lock spell with it once you cast any of these spells with this trait you can't cast that spell again with it until you finish a long rest intelligence is your spell casting ability for these spells and you don't need material components for them when you cast them with this trait that is a very interesting ability so first off Mage Armor alone is a very useful spell that gives for eight hours a base AC of 13 plus dexterity modifier. So if you did go that with this for a rogue dwarf, then Mage Armor would actually give you one higher point of AC than even studded leather would. So that would actually be massively advantageous for such a character for their ac not to mention alarm is just always a useful spell to be notified if anyone enters the area within an eight hour period again arcane lock also really really useful spell that's really quite a good trait so also just something that is interesting to any of the mark sub races is the fact that it also grants bonus spells onto your spell list so any character with spell casting or packed magic so warlocks or sorcerers wizards anyone with spell casting gets additional spells that they get access to that are may or may not normally be on the spell list and it's pretty interesting the list that they have so alarm arcane lock Glyph of Warding is actually one of my favorite spells and honestly something that will probably be an episode of its own at some point. But Glyph of Warding is a spell that is really limited in who has it. It's bards, clerics, wizards, and artificers. And you all know by now how much I love me some warlocks. So the fact that it is not on their spell list normally makes me quite sad. So the fact that if I chose to make a Dwarven Warlock with the Mark of Warding, then that would gain me access to that spell. Yay! All right, and finally, the Mountain Dwarf. Arguably the most common one, because this is the classic, just tough, strong dwarf who is incredibly just well-suited to any melee class, because... Not only do they get the constitution boost of two, like everyone else, this is the only dwarven subrace that has a plus two for their other increase. In this case, a strength increase of two, in addition to the constitution plus two. So strength and constitution both. And in addition to that fact, dwarven armor training. You have proficiency with light and medium armor. A racial 
armor proficiency. So even if you were to choose to disregard the strength increase, making them well-suited to something like a fighter or barbarian, the fact that the race gets that light and medium armor proficiency means that even if you did have a mountain dwarf wizard, then you have a wizard who can wear medium armor, which can be massively advantageous in its own right. In conclusion, dwarves are a fantastic classic part of Dungeons and Dragons, and I can go on and on about the reasons why, but for today I will spare you that and simply say, use more dwarves and have some fun! Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. So, so support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Tier stars low as a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind the scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord where we'll chat with the cast and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Podcast. And now send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs and a rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.